Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we recognize that whenever Reformation happens, things get messy. And we're starting to see things get messy now in the CRC. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. Also, if you appreciate what we're doing and appreciate the content we're putting out, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. Those donations will help us to keep putting out content and help us fight the good fight for reformation in the CRC. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Andrew Bianc. So, Andrew, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and where you're located and the church that you're at? Okay, um, good to meet both of you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, Andrew Bianc is my name. I'm uh, serving in a church called New Westminster Christian Reformed Church, which is in the city of Burnaby, right next door to the city of Vancouver in British Columbia. And I've been serving here for uh, about 12, almost 13 years. Um, been a pastor in the CRC um, for 22 years. Um, and prior to that was a mechanical engineer with Ford Motor Company for about six years. Grew up in uh, southern Ontario, uh, close to Toronto. Um, my wife and I have been married for almost 32 years and have three adult children. I've wow. uh, been a lifetime member of the CRC. My parents both immigrated from the Netherlands um, and uh, met each other here um, and were part of the CRC. When they came, they joined a, a, a fairly new Christian Reformed Church in uh, Mississauga, Ontario, and that's where I was born and raised in. So I've been a long lifetime member of the CRC. So what was that like uh, growing up in a home of, of recent immigrants? Did, did you notice a difference uh, growing up in that culture or not? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, my parents' first language, of course, is Dutch, and that's what they spoke uh, ex- almost exclusively in the home. So I knew Dutch before I knew English. Um, and all my friends in the neighborhood were Canadian. So I went to a public school. Um, so in some respects, I did notice the difference, right? Just being uh, connected to Canadian friends, Dutch parents. But the Christian Reformed Church was largely Dutch immigrants at that time. So my friends in church, you know, we shared similar stories. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I sensed the difference, certainly when I was with my Canadian friends, they would often say, boy, your parents speak with such an accent. I don't really understand them very well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, there seems to be, you know, my, my ancestors uh, immigrated quite a bit earlier than, than your parents did back in the uh, kind of the late 1800s or whatever. But, 
but we always kind of joke about all these little, I always call them little Dutch ghettos throughout. Um, but it really makes sense when, when you're immigrating to try to find people who understand your language, understand your culture. There's a comfort in, in being together like that and, and trying to figure out how to live in this new world together. Yep, absolutely. So you said you've grown up in the Christian Reformed Church your whole life. So what are some of the things that you've noticed in the Christian Reformed Church um, that have been real strengths or, or positives? Hmm. Um, yeah, I would say probably a number of things. Um, I remember early on, so this is as a teenager, when um, a lot of my friends were not Christian, they were in, they were in public school together. Um, and having regular conversations with them about faith, and they, you know, they'd often challenge me, why, why do you go to church? And um, don't you believe that the Bible's kind of out of date, you know, talking about, say, the Bible's at least plain reading of creation looks like it's way off, you know, in terms of age and and a number of other things they would bring up again and again. And, and I remember uh, sitting down with my pastor at the time, a guy by the name of Bill Veenstra, who's now retired in the CRC. But uh, he took some extended time with me and just helped me see that, you know, there is actually very substantive ways of responding to these kinds of challenges. And I appreciated that. I, I appreciated our uh, traditions um, view on science and how uh, science itself is um, possible because of God and and it's uh, just you know how he created order in the universe that enables us to learn things about the universe and and so then uh, an old or older earth was not really a challenge to the scriptures and so uh, I felt like we came from a tradition that had a, a strong intellectual foundation that could easily manage and handle the, the challenges that maybe, you know, scientism brings or uh, naturalism brings or, you know, whatever. so that part of our tradition, I appreciated and, and, and at a young age already um, in, in my interactions with friends. Um, and yeah, I think our kingdom view of, uh, of uh, the world and, and the church and, and the church's place in, in God's kingdom the the big picture worldview that that we have as a as a tradition um, that gives meaning to an engineer who was building cars um, you know Ford was not just a place where I could evangelize um, but it was a place where I could contribute to the common good and do that you know as a Christian wanting to build good quality cars and 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 do that with some sense of Christian calling, you know, I, so that kind of bigger picture of vocation and, and, and I didn't get this in school. I was in a public school. I got this principally through catechism, through my pastors uh, and other people who, um, who influenced me. So yeah, at a younger age, I already felt like our tradition offered a lot to help us live with, um, with integrity and authenticity in the world and with a, with a, a genuine sense of Christian calling that we didn't have to apologize for or feel awkward about because um, we could challenge any narrative that was being presented um, 
that I appreciated that about our tradition. Yeah, I yeah. could say other things, but I'll I'll just pause there. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And I think uh, I don't know, especially right now, I feel like um, in the congregations that I've served. Um, I've felt the need to try to revitalize that idea of kingdom calling. And um, somehow it seems like we've lost that a little bit. And I've had a lot of conversations with people who have said, well, how can I do kingdom work in the factory? You know, I'm just stuck at a machine all day and I don't get to share the gospel with people and, and trying to help them understand that uh, just doing good work and, and using the gifts that God has given you is a way of actually loving your neighbor and, and providing quality materials for them. That's loving your neighbor. And, and yeah, sharing the gospel is a part of that. And, and I don't want to downplay that, but, but just doing good quality work is really important. And I feel like I'm not sure what's behind that, but, but we've started to kind of lose that. But now as I'm bringing that back in and trying to help people see that they're hungry for it because now they, they feel that real meaning coming into their work again. Yeah, I think that's very true. And, um, you know, I just wrapped up a new members class in our church um, in which I take uh, four weeks to go through some of the reformed accents of, you know, our tradition. Um, And I follow uh, the three streams that I think James Scapp kind of, but probably before him already, but he kind of introduced me to it the doctrinalist, the pietist, and the transformationalist stream. So I, I kind of take some time to highlight different uh, teachings or themes that fall under those streams. And, and many of the people in our new members class are not CRC. You know, they're, they're uh, usually from different cultures. Many of them are not Christians and just beginning to understand or come to faith. And they're captivated by, you know, this very thing. They're captivated by a, a, a religion like Christianity that, that gives real meaning to their work. And, that, and, and particularly education. Often it's Christian education that has brought them to our church because we're across the street from a Christian school, which we have a very good relationship with and historically was founded by, you know, some of our founding members. So um, Christian education is kind of an open door for us as a church to encounter these families because they're interested and they're quite captivated by, you know, not just a a sense, okay, at the school, they'll learn how to be kind and and nice and and they'll, you know, just be generous or, um, but they're going to learn at this school, you know, uh, um, how uh, our Christian faith influences every aspect of life and gives meaning and, and richness to that. Um, so these are like Chinese families that are recently immigrated from China, Korean families, and and they're captivated by it. This is something that they that they love, that they think, oh, that's rich. You know, now I really want to send my kids to a Christian school. I didn't realize that you guys meant that, that all of that lay beneath kind of... Um, why these schools were founded. Uh, so yeah, like you said, people are longing, hungering for that. And that's a rich part of our tradition. Yeah. And I think part of that hunger comes just um, as I was thinking more about it, our culture doesn't really have a, um, a theology, if you want to call that, of work. Their worldview work is just something 
we have to do almost right. So many people are like, I'm just, you know, working for the weekend or, or working so I can retire one day. And, and work is just like a necessary evil in order to have fun or to do something fun out there. And, uh, and so most of their life is spent working and doing something they hate and feel is somewhat meaningless. And so when you can tell them that literally everything that you do can be infused with meaning and purpose, it, it makes a, it makes a massive difference. And, and I've seen that in Christian schools as well. You, you can tell when you get into a Christian school that really, that really gets that and that where the faith is kind of infused into every class, even you know, even math class, the faith is infused in, in the order of, of math, um, or, or a school that that's basically um, a secular school with a couple chapel options. And so where it's not like infused in everything, um, you can feel a difference in that. And um, my kids have kind of been in, in a little bit of both, but um, they themselves that right now they're in a school that really has it foundational and, and woven through every class. And they've mentioned to me repeatedly how much they notice a difference. Um, even they, they, they've told me just recently their math class, their physics teacher, like regularly will sit down and just say something like, isn't it cool how God has made things so that it works this way? Like if there was no God, this wouldn't work. And, uh, and people don't think that, theology matters for math, but it makes a big difference. I suppose as an engineer, you, you realize that as well, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that bent of mine, you know, kind of figuring out how things work and um, still is with me. And yeah, when I was younger, that, that was an important part of, you know, coming to realize that, okay, faith is credible because it, you know, when I, when I heard people challenging me on say creation and, and not at that time really knowing how to deal with it. Um, I was so grateful that, you know, I encountered people in our tradition who could give some substantive. Yeah. Another part of our tradition, you know, quite frankly, that I think is uh, such a gift and has been a gift way beyond the CRC is, and I say this because as a church right now, we're preaching through the contemporary testimony, our world belongs to God. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a, a rich, rich document that really unpacks, of course, the story of scripture, but it, it, it unpacks it in a way that aligns with so much of our tradition. Um, and there too, again, I, you know, in my small group, we're, we're going, you know, there's a number of small groups that are meeting and going through the, the contemporary testimony together. All the people in my small group are either not Christian or very new to, to Christianity. And so we're going through this document together and it is resonating. Like, I mean, it needs some explanation at times, of course, but it really is resonating with people. As we talked, say, about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and unpacked that, um, people are hungry to hear how, you know, there's a story of, behind history that the Bible unpacks and reveals to us. And it makes sense. It, it actually captures <laughs> the way things are in the world. You know, when I talked about the pervasive nature of sin, people know, you know, okay, I, that, I get that. You know, so it was, that's a rich part of our tradition. Um, so, I, I mean, I could go on, I, I, but yeah, that's a beautiful document. So there we go. And that was written by largely, well, basically CRC folks, right? 
Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, as you've been talking here, I've kind of had the question, Andrew, in the back of my mind. Um, when did you first start to realize that the Lord was shaping you to be a pastor and kind of calling you into gospel ministry uh, to kind of share these things? I, I, I know you've said you've had a lot of other backgrounds, but I'm just kind of wondering uh, as to your call of ministry and when that was made pretty evident to you by God. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'll try to keep that brief. It's a longer story. <laughs> I, I, you know, as an engineer, I was, I'm not the kind of person who's um, real open to sort of, uh, you know, God speaking in my voice, in my inner ear to, to say, Andrew, go be a pastor. I, I got to analyze, I got to process, I've got to make careful decisions. And so it took me three and a half years, so to speak, to really respond because, but yeah, um, shortly after my wife and I were married, we were part of a discipleship group that was led by one of our pastors. He's still a pastor in the CRC and a good friend, Rick Nanninga is his name. And uh, in that discipleship experience, it was a year long experience. I, I really found, or both of us did, our faith kind of coming to life in wonderful ways and and at, at that time, I began getting a little more involved in the life of, in, in some of the leadership of our church. Um, I became an elder around just after that time and, and became a little bit more involved in ways that people could see. And so really the call came through the church. I had people that often would come up to me and say, Andrew, have you ever thought of becoming a pastor? And initially I would always say, no, I, uh, I don't think that's for me. I really love what I'm doing. But, you know, as that question came up again and again, finally, my wife said, maybe, Andrew, you know, God is behind this. We should maybe pay attention to this. And so we started doing that more seriously, asking people to pray with us and people in our small group and such. And, and I found that um, some of my best days at Ford when I was working were just having conversations around faith with the people which, you know, I started, I, I had pretty regularly. Almost everybody knew I was a Christian and, and uh, were willing to chat about stuff, not in a pushy way, but, you know, just a good way. And so, um, yeah, long story short, I, through the church, I felt the Lord was affirming some gifts in me that at first I didn't know I had. Finally, I went to seminary for just one evening course. It's called Ontario Theological Seminary. After work, I would go to and I took a course just that was available on spiritual warfare of all of all courses. You know, it was taught by a New Testament scholar, but I just wanted to see if I could write an essay. You know, I'm an engineer. I didn't write essays. I just wrote like labs and stuff. Could I write it? So I wrote and, you know, had to write essays and, and I actually enjoyed the course. I enjoyed. So I thought, OK, maybe I can do this. Maybe, you know, and uh, yeah, eventually okay, Lord, I'm, I'm in, if you want me to do this, I'm in. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. And though I sometimes miss my work, I loved what I did. Um, I, I'm very grateful for what I'm doing now. Very grateful. So yeah. Yeah, praise God. Where, uh, where did you go to seminary then? Calvin Theological Seminary. Okay, so you, you did the trial course on Ontario Theological Seminary, but then after that, you decided to go to Calvin. Yeah, so I was planning maybe to stay at Ontario and go to OTS, which is now called Tyndale Seminary. Mm. 
But, you know, again, I, I met a bunch of people and they said, Andrew, you know, Calvin's not a bad place. It's good to, you know, if you want to minister in the CRC, it's not bad to go there. And, and anyways, it meant moving and selling our house and moving with our kids. And so it was a big change, but I don't regret it. Calvin was a really good experience for me. I had some wonderful professors and um, yeah, so... Yeah, I want to jump back to one other thing that you had mentioned earlier as being um, one of the strengths of the CRC. Um, you had talked about growing up kind of the, uh, the intellectual aspect of it, the, the deep thinking on, on topics. And so I've heard some people um, who would maybe criticize that aspect of the CRC and say, well, there was a time in the CRC where we were too intellectual. We were just only focused on the mind. We ignored the heart. Um, did you experience that at one point in the in the CRC? Do you think that's an accurate um, corrective, or or do you or how would you respond to someone saying that? Yeah, I, I, I would I would say I can understand where that sentiment um, has come from. Perhaps where where we where you encountered maybe within various churches, um, a kind of, what would I call it, a, a cold kind of faith, or there wasn't much life, there wasn't much uh, love for Christ that was evident, you know, um, maybe people were more reserved about how they expressed their faith, or maybe didn't express it really at all, except go to church and, and do the things that we Christians do, like don't shop on Sunday, or pray before meals, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I, um, but yeah, if, 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 if those kinds of outward behaviors, as good as they are, aren't joined with um, kind of a living testimony, a witness of, uh, you know, people being able to say why they love Jesus and why, um, being filled with his spirit is is a life of joy and abundance and 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 you know if that if that element of uh, a person's faith is not very evident or observed easily observed and yet they might speak of oh election and predestination and god's sovereignty and they can say all that well but you don't see it living in them then yeah that's uh, people might react against that and say ah i want more I want more life and vibrancy and, and, and passion, so to speak. Um, and I, I can appreciate that. I've wanted that too. You know, when I had that discipleship experience with my wife, that's where I really, and I was 24 years old at the time, 23, 24. That's when I really, uh, in a way that I hadn't experienced before, encountered the love of the Father for me, a love that I could experience and, and that warmed my heart in a way that I hadn't really felt before. I had, I, I so appreciated that old intellectual part, you know, that I, as a teenager, but I talked about that. But then in that discipleship experience, we started praying with each other. And then as we shared stories, we, we heard God answer those prayers. Mm. We sensed that God was working through those prayers and and changing our lives in, in, you know, not dramatic ways, but in, in, in powerful, in positive, powerful ways. And, 
And sometimes you felt like, okay, the Holy Spirit is in the room with us right now. You know, I can just, I just know something's happening as we're talking and as we're reading scripture together. And uh, that part of our faith, maybe in our tradition, has been, in, at least in some churches, perhaps muted. Or I think the Canadian immigrant experience, sometimes those immigrants, they had a tough go when they came here. And maybe they, they had, they were more, not as able to share some of that. They were surviving initially in those immigrant years. And I, I'm not sure, I, I, I have some theories about, but my first church uh, in, in Stony Creek, Ontario, I encountered some people who, you know, were diehard CRC folks who came to church twice every Sunday. But if you ask them the question, how, how does your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ manifest itself in your day-to-day -day life? you'd probably hear an answer that left you kind of, hmm, do I want that? Is that so, is that, that's so good? You know, like, doesn't sound like that's such a, a, a an inviting, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I, I do think there's some, uh, there's something behind that, you know, oh, we're so intellectual because sometimes it has been dry. It has been a little dull, if I can, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. not, you, you, you get a sense what I'm saying, right? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, well, and some of it can sometimes just be cultural differences. I think I, uh, I remember having a friend who, um, he was a, a worship pastor and he primarily served in kind of charismatic churches. And, and so, um, he had, he'd come and went to help us lead worship at one of our youth group retreats. And, uh, and the first time he led, he got done and he was just shaking his head. He said, they just stood there and, you know, they didn't raise their hands. Like they didn't move. And I was like, yeah, but then he said, but what I did notice, they sang louder than any other church I've ever been a part of. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's them raising their hands. Like they're not, they're not going to raise their hands. They're not going to dance. That's just not part of our culture, who we are. But when they're feeling the movement of the spirit, whether they recognize it or not, they're going to belt it out and they're really going to sing and they're going to like raise the roof off of this place. And he kind of went, oh, OK, so the spirit moves differently in different cultural places. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of nuance in that, but there is kind of a culture where we don't get real touchy feely in, in the CRC. And uh, and that can be a detriment as well. But I think it's important to recognize just some cultures respond differently in different situations too. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. So as you're kind of looking out across the, the landscape of the CRC right now, um, what are some of the concerning things that, that you're seeing going on right now? Um, oh, there's probably several, of course, probably ones that I share with many, um, yeah, there's, uh, well, this, this pandemic season has been challenging for the church broadly, not just the CRC, but it's disheartening to see some of the way that our responses to the pandemic have polarized, um, you know, congregations or families. Yeah, that's, and yeah, um, so that's been, uh, difficult to watch. Um, but I think, uh, you know, how things are, are unfolding right now for us as a denomination around the topic of 
of human sexuality and the uncertainty that's there for at least for me on where where that conversation is headed and how that will be decided this summer at Synod. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a, a, a key moment in our denomination's history. You know, things something's going to change after Synod 2022. Uh, and it's not clear to me what exactly that's going to look like. Um, and I'm, I am, so, I am a little concerned that, uh, if we, you know, I'm, I'll just name what I'm, you know, where I stand on this, I'm very much in favor of the, the report and the recommendations of the report, all the recommendations, think they're pretty important for us to decide and affirm as a denomination. And I know that there's, in fact, friends of mine who will disagree with me on, uh, on that, uh, who are pastors in the CRC. So, you know, I, I, I sense that there is going to be either a prolonged conversation that some people are aiming for. Let's keep talking. Let's keep dialoguing. Let's try to understand. Let's try to listen, which I think in the end will, will be uh, only harmful to the church. It won't be helpful. Um, so yeah, I feel like the church is at a, a bit of a crossroads. We ought to make a decision, so to speak, put a, a line in the sand, if that's the right word or right image, but just, decide in favor of this report and 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 then you know i've been an advocate of uh and have shared on a number of occasions the importance of us thinking about either a gracious separation or even what i what we call the kind of denominational realignment with the rca you know i've been i've somewhat publicly talked about perhaps the possibility of the more progressive rca aligning with the progressive side of the CRC and the more conservative side of the RCA aligning with the conservative side of the CRC, staying in two denominations, but just being clear about where we're at theologically, uh, particularly on the issue of human sexuality, but probably other issues too. Um, but yeah, that when, when I first started talking about that with other people, including people in the RCA, by the way, um, that was like 2019 and that seemed like a lifetime ago now it does um, yeah so so much has happened in the last two years I, I don't see that kind of realignment happening very well anymore so um anyway so i have some concerns about how what the future looks like for us um around this issue i um yeah, I mean, we could spend a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we could. Yeah. Well, and I, I remember, and maybe I had read something that you had put out there back in 2019, or I know it's been floating around in my mind as well. You know, I said it probably less politically correct, but like if we could just do a church swap. Um, and uh, it would seem, you know, so many people are nervous about um, creating a bunch more denominations out of this, right? And so that seemed like a pretty good solution to try to show unity but um the the logistical aspect of it is really really difficult to try to figure out um you know somebody had pushed back on me and said well where do you draw the line on on which churches and um but and now it, it does look pretty difficult just because the rca already has made a the gracious separation decision and you know i think they've already had 50 churches in the first uh you know in in january left 
and they're forming ARC and the Kingdom Network. And, and yep. so I know some are holding on. It seems like at least in Wisconsin, some of the RCA churches are kind of holding on and kind of peeking over the edge at the CRC, um, at our upcoming synod, kind of wondering what we're going to do here. And, and they might make a decision accordingly. But, but I also know that many RCA churches, they're really leery about coming into the CRC because they're worried they're going to come in and have to just fight all the same battles that they've just been fighting. So what do you think we would have to do at this upcoming synod in order for RCA churches to feel comfortable um, entering into fellowship with us? Yeah. Well, um, you know, my response to that question is not just my opinion because I, we, as a, um, as a classis here in BC, BC Northwest, we've had uh, some initial, very initial conversation with classes BC of the RCA, which is a, a, a network, you know, a group of, I think almost 15 congregations, fairly small congregations, but they um, wrote a letter to our classes um, asking for the possibility of, of dialoguing together about uh, a possible affiliation. Um, and yeah, but they wanted, you know, us to be clear that uh, that affiliation would really only go forward if our denomination made a clear decision on, you know, traditional marriage and kind of put an end to the, the ongoing challenge and dialogue by, you know, either making it confessional or but doing something that uh, even in the matter of kind of church disciplining each other but doing something to sort of say this is this is our position and 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 we're going to put some teeth in it too by you know declaring it confessional or whatever that's all we have for this week stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with andrew bianc until then don't forget that this is christ church and he bought it with his blood and we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.